Well, we have uh, been studying over the last uh, few weeks about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, because that's obviously what John writes about at the close of his book, and that's where we've been studying for some time now. Last Sunday, we uh, talked about Mary Magdalene. We know uh, one of the, the, the solid proofs for the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is the number of appearances that he post resurrection appearances that he made. And the very first post-resurrection appearance was to a woman by the name of Mary Magdalene. And uh, she was at the cross. And she saw, I, she was an eyewitness, she saw firsthand the horror of the crucifixion. And she saw, the Bible said, where Joseph of Arimathea had buried the body of Jesus. And so that's all she knows. She knows that he died and that he was buried. And her heart was filled with sorrow at the death of her Savior. And so the next morning, while it was still dark, Mary and some other women made their way to the tomb where she knew Joseph had laid the body of Christ, and their desire, of course, was to uh, give him a, a proper burial. The burial of Joseph was fast. It was quick. Um, he, he had to get the body off the cross and in the grave, and there wasn't really time to, to treat it as was customary. And so Mary and some of her friends, other followers of Christ, had it in their hearts to come and anoint the body of Jesus. When they got there, they saw the stone had been rolled away and that the tomb was empty and Jesus was not there. And Mary's first response was this, they've stolen the body. Somebody has taken the body of Jesus. And she was overwhelmed with sorrow. But here's what she soon, soon found out, is that her sorrow was for naught because Jesus was alive. Amen. And here's one of the things that we learned last week, is this, sometimes the things that we perceive to be a burden actually end up being a blessing. The loss of a job is, for whatever reason, is never any any fun, and it's never something that we like to deal with, but how awesome is it when God brings you to another job that is better than the job that you had, and a job that you love even more, and you look back on it now, and what at one time was a huge burden in your life has now become one of the best blessings that you've ever gotten. Number of times, relationships are torn apart for whatever reason and it's a burden and there's great sorrow and then in his time God brings you together with someone else that you get to spend the rest of your life with and you look back on it 5, 10, 15, 20 years later and 
what initially filled your heart with sorrow and what was so heartbreaking and so devastating, you look back on it now and you understand, though your initial perception was that it was a burden, now you look back on it and you see how that has become a blessing. We could go on and on and on with that. But if Mary's heart was filled with sorrow, then here's what we would say about the next group of people that Jesus appeared to. It's his disciples. It would be the 12, of course, minus Judas. He's dead now. Thomas, and we'll see this the next time uh, we're together in the book of John. Thomas is not there, so there's 10 of his original disciples. We know that there are no doubt others that were followers of Christ that are probably there with them. And if Mary was filled with sorrow, then here's what we would say about this second group of people. They were filled with fear. So let's open our Bibles this morning to John chapter 20 again. And I'll begin reading in verse 19. The Gospel of John chapter 20. And I'll begin reading in verse 19. Then... The same day at evening. So Mary and her friends go early in the morning while it was still dark, while, while the, the, before the sun had risen. And now it's this very same day. Now the sun has set and the disciples are gathered together this first day of the week when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled look at this for fear they were there because they were afraid they were afraid of the jews and into that situation came jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them peace be unto you and when he had so said, he showed them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and Saith unto them, Receive the Holy Ghost. Whosesoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosesoever sins ye retain, they are retained. I think you would agree with me this morning that fear is a fearful thing. In a moment's time, it can tie your stomach in so many knots that it takes hours and sometimes even days to undo. It can cause your blood pressure to rise like a rocket and at the same time your courage to drop like a rock. If the shock it brings is strong enough, the blood can be cut off almost completely from the brain momentarily, causing a person to faint. 
Fear has even been proven to be fatal. Medical science has proven that it can cause the cardiovascular muscles to react in such a way that the heart, that heart failure is the result. So have you ever said to somebody, I was scared to death? Well, that's a legitimate result of fear. Somebody can literally be scared to death. I'm guessing this morning that some of you have brought your own fears to church with you today. It may be the fear of a marriage that is tanking. It could be the fear of a retirement that you're not ready for. It could be fear over a wayward child or a sick family member or maybe an impending doctor visit. It could be the fear of of the way things are looking on the world stage. I mean, let's face it, there are plenty of things to be fearful of in this world that we're living in. Amen? But know this. God is immensely concerned about the condition of our hearts because never are we less of what he intends for us to be than when our hearts are filled with fear and anxiety. And sadly, we're reticent to admit our struggles with fear And so here's what we choose to do instead. We choose to worry about it. But can I ask you this this morning? Does worry change anything? Come on, talk to me, church. Does worry change anything? Does worry make anything? Now think about it. Does worry make one thing any better? No. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew. He said, which of you, by taking thought, literally by worrying, by being over-focused, overly concerned, which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? Here's the point that Jesus is making. Fear does absolutely nothing to lengthen or to make our lives better. As a matter of fact, it diminishes both. We are never helped by worry. I'm preaching to myself now. We're never helped by worry. We're only hurt. Now, fear shows up in a number of different ways. For instance, it shows up in nervous habits. Do we have any nail biters in the house this morning? Come on, be honest. I'm raising both hands because both of my fi- uh, both hands, the fingernails are chewed down. Have any other nail biters this morning? Thank you. How about toenail biters? Just checking. I'm glad nobody raised their hand. How about nervous eaters? Don't raise your hand. I'm guessing we probably have some nervous smokers here today. 
some nervous chewers here today. Maybe even some nervous drinkers in our midst. Nerves, nervous habits are a sign of fear. Other signs of a fear-filled heart include irritableness. Here's another one. Paranoia about the future. You know, the whole sky is falling, the end is coming mindset. I mean, all kinds of irrational behavior. And you talk about irrational behavior, think about this. What good was hiding in a locked room going to do if the Jewish police really wanted to get at the disciples? I mean, the truth is, if they really wanted to arrest them, they would have already arrested them. Peter was in the courtyard of the high priest. John was there as well. Mary and others were at the cross. They were at the crucifixion. If they wanted to arrest them, they could have done it right then and right there. And not only that, some of them were in other various places out in public. And, and then think about this. What is a locked door? What good is that against a battalion of, of Roman soldiers? Seriously. They were thinking irrationally in their thoughts. They said, well, we'll hide out. We'll hide out behind this locked door. Nobody will know. Listen, you've got to know that the Jewish leaders knew exactly where they were. They weren't going to keep that secret. They knew where these followers of Jesus were. I mean, come on. If you want to hide from the authorities, then leave. Get out of Dodge. Don't hang around Jerusalem. The point is, fear causes people to do some really, really crazy things. Now, let's get into our text and see what we can learn about this thing called fear. And I trust that as we do this morning, that you'll give God's Word access to your heart. I trust that this morning you'll not just listen with your ears, but that you will put forth the effort this morning to listen with your heart with the intent to act on what the Spirit of God shows you today. The first thing about fear that we learn is this, the absence of Jesus equals fear. We live in a world today that is consumed by fear because we live in a world without Jesus. The disciples are locked tied in an upper room without Jesus, and they're afraid. Now, I picture in this room there's somebody standing up close to the door, and they've got their ear pressed up against the door, and they're listening for anybody that may be coming, and the others are just sitting around and, and they're jumping at every noise and they're turning at every movement that somebody makes. Write this down, church. Fear freezes faith and falsifies the future. Fear 
freezes faith and falsifies the future. As a matter, matter of fact, somebody gave fear this definition, false evidence appearing real. F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real. Fear freezes our capacity to trust, and it gives us a distorted view of what's to come. When we allow our fears to reign in our hearts, we allow it to convince us of the worst possible outcome. I seem to remember this same group of disciples on a boat one night when they got caught in the middle of a storm. And their question to Jesus was this, Carest thou not that we perish? In their minds, they were going to die. They just knew it. It was going to happen. This was the end. It was the only possible outcome. They were going to die. Now, what would lead them to that automatic conclusion? Fear. How often do we allow our fear to override our faith and do the same thing to us? That is, we, we allow it to convince us of the worst possible outcome in every situation we're going to die we're going to go bankrupt we're going to lose this we're going to have to give up that listen we only begin to think that way because we've taken our eyes off of Jesus so the first thing that we see here is that the absence of Jesus equals fear. Here's the second thing this morning. The answer to fear is peace. The disciples had locked themselves in a room because of fear. And by the way, that's what fear does to us. It locks us down. Every time. Every time. And so here they are, and they're in this locked room, and they're all huddled up, and they're biting their fingernails, and they're, again, they're jumping at every sound, when all of a sudden, now get this picture in your mind, they're, they're fearful, they're fretting, they're anxious, and then into the midst of that, Jesus shows up. Without knocking. He doesn't come through the door. Look at it. Read it. He appears. It's not like he said, what's the password? They're in this room, and the door's locked, and they're fearful, and they're frightened, and all of a sudden, poof, here's Jesus. And he's not a ghost. He's in a physical body. He shows them the scar, the, the wound in his side. He shows them the scars in his hands. <laughs> Can you imagine what that, how that must have gone over at first? I mean, really, this is the kind of stuff movies are made of, right? Boom! Here he is. <laughs> 
So Jesus shows up and he speaks peace to them because the answer to fear is peace. And again, then he shows them the wound in his side. He shows them the scars in his hands. And then note what John says in verse 20. And when he had done that, the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Church, when there is peace in the heart, there is gladness on the face. Would you agree with that? When there's peace in the heart, there's gladness on the face. Gladness, the presence of peace, or the absence of peace, will show up in our countenance. And the closer you are to somebody, the more obvious it is. And so that's why you ask them, hey, what's going on? What, what do you need to talk about? Why? Because you see it on their countenance. What is peace? Well, I would say this if you want to write it down. Peace is the calm assurance that what God is doing is what's best. Peace is a calm assurance that what God is doing is best. Peace is God signaling in your soul and in my soul that we can rest in Him. That we can trust Him. That we can lean on Him. The message of peace is this, God is at work. And in his time, you're going to see it. Amen. The absence of Jesus equals fear. The answer to fear is peace. Now I want to drop down to the, the final three verses that we read there. Verse 21, 22, and 23. And here's what we see. The action of peace is ministry. Verse 21, then, the, then Jesus said to them, Peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosesoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosesoever sins ye retain, they are retained. Now let's deal very quickly with verses 22 and 23. And then we'll go back and look at verse 21. In these two verses, verses 22 and 23, Jesus is giving his disciples, and I'm talking now about the ones who would later turn the world upside down, which is what their, their uh, uh, opposition, is what their enemies uh, said of them. These men have turned the world upside down. We read about that in the book of Acts. And at this moment in time, in the narrative of the Gospel of John, Jesus is giving these men both power and authority for ministry. John 20, 22 is about their power for ministry. Now, understand that this is, is merely symbolic in nature at this point the holy spirit will come upon these men in earnest 
in Acts chapter 2, just a few weeks from this particular, about six or seven weeks removed from what, we, what Jesus did here, the Holy Spirit would come upon them in real, for real, in reality, in Acts chapter 2. And as we have learned, been learning in our study of the book of Acts on Sunday nights, through the power of the Holy Spirit, this is incredible, through the power of the Holy Spirit, these same men who are in John chapter 20 and they're cowering in fear, these same men will be accused of turning, using their ministry to turn the world upside down. One of them, Peter, would be used of God to stand and preach in the power of the Holy Spirit with such boldness and such effectiveness that three thousand people came to know the Lord on that day and so Jesus is giving them the power that they need for ministry as for verse 23 unfortunately it has been terribly terribly misunderstood and misapplied by some and used to do millions upon millions of people who have believed that some mere man has the ability to forgive their sin. Church, listen to me today, please. There is not a man nor a church who has ever, I mean ever in all of, of history, there's neither a man nor a church who has ever been able to forgive sin. Only God can forgive our sin. And by the way, he doesn't do that through another man. We don't have to go to another man and then he takes our sin to God and God forgives them through him. That's not how it works. You go to God on your own and you confess your sin to God yourself and God, in His grace, forgives you of your sin. This verse is about the disciples' authority for ministry. And here's what Jesus was saying in this verse. When you tell people about what I've done, when you stand and, and, and you preach in the power and the energy of the Holy Spirit of God, and you're speaking my work, my word and you're talking about my work and you're doing it in the power of the spirit jesus is saying this i am speaking through you so that anyone who believes your words i'm going to forgive their sin and those who don't believe your words then i'm not going to forgive their sin and since you're my voice and my truth that I'm speaking here of forgiving them, of you forgiving them and you withholding forgiveness. Jesus, listen, Jesus did not give his disciples the authority to go out and say, you're forgiven, you're not, you're forgiven, you're not, you're forgiven, you're not. That's not the point of verse 23. Not at all. Now let's look at verse 21 because it's here that we see that the action of peace is ministry. You still with me? We're, we're going to wrap it up. Hang on. Church, listen, Jesus doesn't give us peace just so we'll have a good night's sleep. He doesn't give us peace just so we'll have a better week. 
God gives us his peace so we can make an impact in this world. This is John's version of what we would normally call the Great Commission. It's found in all four Gospels in some form or the other. It's found in the book of Acts. And really, it's why Fellowship Baptist Church exists. And it's why God chooses to leave us here after we get saved instead of just immediately taking us to heaven. He leaves us here to be witnesses to a world that is lost and dying and headed for an eternity without Jesus. Peace is a release from the things that would otherwise burden our hearts and hinder our ministry. It's like Jesus is saying to his disciples, if you'll just give me your cares and your concerns, I'll handle them, and in, in, in trade, I'll give you my peace so you can go out and spread my word in this world. Church, let's be reminded today that God is not here for us. We are here for him. He's not here to serve our purposes. We are here to serve his purpose. God gives us the help we need to get over our humanness so we can be used by him. So the absence of peace, the absence of Jesus, rather, equals fear. The answer to fear is peace. The action of peace, why Jesus gives us peace is so that we can be involved in ministry, specifically the ministry of evangelism and missions and sharing the gospel with others. And then let's bring it home this morning with this amazing truth. The access of peace is Jesus. The access of peace is Jesus. There are two main kinds of peace that are spoken about in the Bible. There's peace for those who are afraid of dying. And there's peace for those who are afraid of living. And by the way, Jesus is the key to both of those. Let's talk about the second one first. There's peace for those who are afraid of living. And here's, how, here's what we would call it. We would call it the peace of God. The peace of God is for those who are afraid of living. It's the peace that Paul says passes all understanding. Now, I'm speaking to believers right now. I'm speaking to those who have received Christ as their Savior and are not supposed to be living in fear. God hath not given us the spirit of fear. Paul writes that in 2 Timothy chapter 1. And verse 7, 
For God hath not given us the spirit of fear. So help me out here a little bit, church. If, if the spirit of fear that paralyzes us and keeps us from living the kind of life that God wants us to live, if it's not coming from him, then who's it coming from? Satan. It's coming from the devil. This overriding fear that paralyzes us and renders us useless and turns us inward where we're the only focus uh, uh, in our lives, that kind of fear, listen to me this morning, that does not come from God. For God doth not give us, he has not given us the spirit of fear, but of what, church? Power and of love and of a sound mind. Let me point out a couple of things from our text that I trust will help you as a believer who right now may be living in fear. And the first thing is this. As the disciples, we're going to go back to, to the, to the uh, opening verses here, as the disciples were cowering in fear behind a locked door in an upper room, Jesus appeared to them. Now, as I said earlier, it's not like... He stood and knocked on the door and like, let me in. No, he transcended all of that. He got to where they are. Boom, he just showed up. And again, he wasn't, he wasn't a ghost. He had a physical body. It was the real Jesus. And so here's the point. Please listen carefully. In your life today, I'm talking right now, Jesus can go where no one else can go. Jesus can go where no counselor can go. Jesus can go where no doctor can go. Jesus can go where no lover can go. Jesus can go where no amount of alcohol or any drug can go. He can reach you and reach into you anywhere at any time. The access to peace is Jesus. Not another drink. Not another fling. Not another pill. No, the access to the peace that you're seeking for is Jesus. I mentioned a number of times already disciples were locked in a room for fear of the Jews. And I don't want to be too hard on them. Their leader had just been crucified as a threat to Caesar. So in a way... Their fear is somewhat understandable, but it's into that moment of fear that Jesus comes. And here's what Jesus is saying. I come to my own when they're afraid. I told you about those disciples in a boat. And it's in that same scenario where Jesus comes walking to them on the water. 
And here's the truth about Jesus today. He comes when we're afraid. And he doesn't wait for us to get our act together. He doesn't wait for us to have enough faith to overcome our fear. He comes into the midst of our situation to give us the faith we need to overcome. So if you're fearful about something today, As a believer, take it to the Lord. He comes to you when you cry out to Him. There is peace for those who are afraid of living, and there's peace for those who are afraid of dying. The one is the peace of God. This second one is peace with God. For those who are afraid of living, there's the peace of God, Philippians chapter 4. For those who are afraid of dying, it is possible to make peace with God. Death for the believer is victory. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We win. We die, we go to heaven. It's victory. Death for those who die in unbelief is defeat of the most epic kind. So there should be some fear. Are you listening? There should be some fear about the prospect of dying without Jesus Christ. here's the good news you don't have to die without him you can know him and his peace right here right now today for God so loved the world all of mankind Everyone within the sound of my voice is so loved by God that he sent his only son to die for you. And the truth of the matter is, had you been the only person living, Jesus would have still died for you. Jesus took your place. He took your punishment. And the Bible says that if you will accept Christ's death for you and receive God's gift of eternal life, you will be saved. For whosoever, Paul said, Romans 10, 13, For whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that, here it is again, whosoever, whosoever believeth in him 
should not perish. But help me, church, have everlasting life. Would you join me in prayer this morning?